0: This is the Bluegrass Beat podcast, news, training, and first-hand accounts from Kentucky's leading law enforcement professionals and instructors. And here's your host, Critley Smith.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bluegrass Beat. I'm Critley Smith. This is a very special episode of our podcast. We have spent several episodes looking back at the Department of Criminal Justice Training's history, but as the year ends, it's time to look forward. Here to talk about law enforcement's excellence and what 2024 could bring for DOCJT and for law enforcement training is Commissioner Nikolai Gillick Welcome to the show, Commissioner.
0: Thank you, greatly. Good morning.
1: Good morning. So here we are, we're, we're sitting in November, and you are about to start your fifth year here at DOCJT. Uh, what is that like for you?
0: It's exciting. I've got to say that, you know, you know, I, I don't know how many commissioners that have been here that I can say that they actually went to DOCJT. But, you know, this place seriously has a, a very dear place in my heart. Uh, having been through here as a recruit, I have a whole different view of DOCJT, sometimes very literally, like I literally walked down the hallways here where I now work as commissioner. And I so clearly remember the days as a recruit
1: it has to have a very interesting
0: perspective having been here as a, as a recruiting student. And what's interesting is so when I came through here, a lot of the buildings were just being built. The Thompson Residence Hall, for example, uh, my recruit class was one of the classes that helped move the furniture in. And now, over a little over 20 years later, as commissioner here and how I'm dealing with that same building and the <laughs> facilities, I'm now starting to realize that what we had then that was brand new is now we're trying to figure out what is next. One of the things you mentioned in the intro there is kind of looking where we're we going forward, and it's, it's very exciting. Honestly, the biggest feeling I have is a feeling of, of gratitude and just kind of feeling blessed To be here as commissioner, to be a part of something so special as DOCJT, I I really love this place. Um, I've got a long drive to work. I get a lot of grief over that from some friends and family, but it's just, I I just really enjoy working here that much. The people that are here that make this place what it is, they are the constant. And I'm talking about the employees here at DOCJT. The various leadership kind of comes and goes over the years, but it's the instructors, the admin staff, folks like you. They are the ones that really that have devoted their lives to improving law enforcement through training, having a chance to be here. I just want to say I'm just grateful for it. Um, I really feel like a significant part of my job is to make sure that they have what they need to do the good work that they do. Um, But I definitely want to have a shout out to everybody that works at DOCJT and just thank them for their commitment to public safety in Kentucky.
1: Well, thank you, Commissioner. And, uh, you know, Kentucky has a lot of special qualities. People really do talk about uh, the standards and quality that we put on law enforcement here. So, can you talk about how we are set apart a little bit different, kind of what we do, and um, what makes us so special?
0: Sure. For anybody that's been through a recent graduation, one of the things I like to comment on just kind of. The notions of our liberty here in the United States, uh, we're a special country, and, and our liberty is probably one of our most prized things that we are entitled to through our Constitution and the work of our founding fathers. But you know, I really believe that liberty is kind of realized through public safety. It's fair to say we've always taken public safety serious in, in Kentucky, but, you know, starting back in the late 60s, there was really some significant discussions about how can we really codify standards and how can we kind of make more universal the, the level of preparation and training that it takes to be an officer in Kentucky and, you know, you touched on a lot of that in a past interview with former Commissioner Bizak. I really enjoyed that podcast because it really kind of renewed some perspective um, on the long journey that Kentucky has been on. You know, that with the creation of CLEP, uh there was just some amazing foresight by the leadership in Kentucky all through that era uh, leading up through POPs with the modern political climate it's really kind of remarkable to imagine that you have folks from both sides of the aisle working together the way that they did to really put into motion all the things that I think a lot of us take for granted now in Kentucky you know DOCJT was created out of that which what's was beautiful about what we have here in Kentucky as compared to other states I've had a chance to see this firsthand by traveling around the country and visiting with officers and and folks that are responsible, like I am for law enforcement training in their local areas. What we have is that it doesn't matter where you live in Kentucky, doesn't matter what community you live in or what community you work for, but you have the same standards and the same level of training. And that may sound so elementary, so basic. Again, it's something that, unfortunately, (laughs) I think... Sometimes we take for granted here. But it's remarkable that Kentucky has got a wide variety of of areas. You've got some areas that are very wealthy, some areas not so much. But the good people that live here, they all know that when they go to sleep at night, that the police officers, the sheriff's deputies that are patrolling, the dispatchers that are monitoring the phones, they all have the exact same level of training, all held to the exact same standard You have people that work from, you know, Paducah to Pikeville and Corbin to Covington. They're all sitting in the same classrooms together. Uh, Some of them are making minimum wage in Kentucky still. Um, Some of them are doing fairly well. But they all have the exact same level of training, and I think that is is very significant. Other states, if your community has a lot of money, your cops are going to get trained well. If your community doesn't have a lot of money, they may not get any training at all. And I think that's really unfortunate, but you know, we're, we're doing it right here in Kentucky. The Kentucky Law Enforcement Council, I get to be a part of that in my position. So I've seen firsthand just kind of how that works, just how the standards are constantly discussed and monitored and There's this constant effort to make sure that we are doing things the right way.
1: It's a really good blend of effort and accountability.
0: Yes, very much so. Um,
1: Now, you mentioned uh, Cliff, and for those that might not know, that's the Kentucky Law Enforcement Foundation Program Fund. Yes. Lots of letters. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Can you talk about how that factors into Kentucky's law enforcement?
0: Sure. You know, every budget cycle, however that budget cycle works for their state. There's general fund dollars, and those general fund dollars, there's a lot of public need within that government entity where they've got to figure out how to divvy out that money. In Kentucky, there is a surcharge on insurance premiums, just to kind of keep it super simple. It's a small, like 1.8% of your insurance premiums, and it all goes into a fund. That fund is restricted to be used for public safety. It's split between police and fire. On the police side, that is what funds our training. So it's something that is otherwise immune to, you know, ups and downs in the economy and all of that, which I think is a, it's just an amazing system because public safety, it's a constant It doesn't matter how well the economy is going. Public safety is always important, and Kentucky recognizes that through the CLEP fund. The money and resources that it takes, their police officers are getting trained the way they need to get trained. That money is there. That money is there because the CLEP fund operates well and operates the way that it was was designed to do so.
1: Recently, I spoke with Commissioner John Bizak. You mentioned that interview, and he noted the significance of standards and having a galvanized police force across the state with cohesive and comprehensive training. Obviously, the push for galvanization was strongest during the creation and establishment of the Peace Officer Professional Standards, which is what we're we're calling POPs. In 1998, what was it like to to watch that be implemented, and then to have your career take off right after these standards were enacted?
0: You know, when I first started, it was just a few years after POPS had been initiated and put into place. I started policing in Danville, Kentucky, and Danville at the time uh, was just a, probably around a 28-person police department, which I now know in Kentucky that's actually on the bigger side. I think most right. agencies in Kentucky are less than 15, but it was still it was kind of a small town. Kentucky type feel for me, having lived in Lexington most of my life. But what I saw through that experience, uh, working there, is just how closely we work with other agencies, with the sheriff's department, Harrodsburg, Garrett County, Jessamine County. We had lots of little partnerships and law enforcement efforts that we had with uh, nearby communities. But what I what I clearly saw is the benefit of having that level of training that's standard, um, because I knew that if I needed help, that the person responding to me. I was going to have the same training. We probably were in the same class together. In fact, within service, a lot of us did take the same classes together. So while we may have each gone home to our own agencies, when we were working, we were all able to work together. Over the course of my 20 years, I, I really saw the benefits of that. Then moving from there to Louisville with Louisville Metro, went through their academy as well. I, you know, I got to kind of see that continuation of those expectations. Really the core essence of that, me responding to calls was no different in Louisville than it was in Danville. You know, when I first started, it was right around 9-11. And I remember- That's
1: what a time to come into law enforcement. Yes.
0: You know, I thought that I was going to go into education and the teaching. And I had done a series of ride-alongs in Lexington. And I thought, you know, I can't believe people get paid to do this. So for me, it was this complete shift in my life. And I started to apply. Then 9-11 happened. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh, everybody now wants to serve their community. I mean, it was this incredible, motivating event- for Americans to step up and to do something. You know, for me, on the selfish side, I was thinking, oh my gosh, like everybody's going to be applying to be police officers now. And it was indeed a challenge at the time. I remember going through a couple of hiring processes and there were just a ton of people applying. Um, And I remember just feeling so blessed that I ended up getting accepted in Danville PD and through the whole police corps process that I ended up, you know, being able to enter this profession here in Kentucky. But, you know, it's interesting since then how things have changed it's a completely different world now in law enforcement. It's interesting to watch how things shift and move. But certainly now, compared to then, times are very different. You know, I think that's one of the significant things about DOCJT and my experience as commissioner is that, you know, we are operating here in Richmond under a system that was essentially put together and designed in the 90s and the early 2000s. And it worked great. And it's still not to say that it doesn't work things are changing. And, you know, I think we're really starting to see the manifestations of that change.
1: When did the shift for law enforcement seem to start taking off? When did the ball start rolling in a different direction?
0: I really feel like I think most folks in law enforcement would probably look back to see when was the first big significant kind of shift in public perception at least on a big scale. I mean, I think if you go from community to community, depending on where you live, you know, there's always been kind of highs and lows with tensions with police and the various communities. But I think just kind of nationally, I think really the, the big shift was with Ferguson. And One of the things that I got to see in my time was kind of the onset of, of, a, of a camera on a phone. Um, I I remember the first roll call where a sergeant was was reminding us that, hey, anybody can have a, a camera now. And I remember that was such a, at least in the very beginning, it was kind of an alien feeling. But the reality is, you know, we should always be doing the right thing, no matter if there's a camera or not. And that's always been the reality since the beginning. But it's certainly now, you know, there was this extra element out there of accountability that was immediate. Um, Then Mm -hmm. especially transitioning from having cameras that are readily available to social media and other means of of sharing. Citizen news. Yeah. Yeah, So, I mean, that accountability was instant. So I think as we as society have been trying to kind of catch up to all the repercussions, the good and bad of, of, of social media and this kind of instant communication, The scrutiny and law enforcement and the scrutiny of practices and law enforcement and training and all that has been, you know, kind of on the rise. And I think we should not be afraid of that. In fact, you know, I think if we're doing the right thing, then we at any moment in time, you know, that level of accountability, we should welcome it.
1: Now, obviously, there was a big event that created a lot of changes for all of us regardless of profession. And that was the COVID-19 pandemic. But you experienced that here at DOCJT as commissioner and had to help guide all of us uh, through that significant
0: challenge. Um, I think probably every commissioner, when they start, they've got lots of uh, dreams and aspirations. Well, and Global pandemic of, was not one of them. Lots of excitement, <laughs> yes. And, you know, there was a there was probably an innocence that we all had, that I think we all looked back on now and probably see it as such. But all of a sudden, being new to a, a, a new agency, or new to me agency, where the agency didn't know me very well. Again, you know, I mentioned that earlier about our staff. They're the constant. The leadership is subject to come and go. You know, they they were getting to know me. I was getting to know them. And then all of a sudden, we're in this crazy unknown where we didn't know what was going to happen next, and the whole ability for us to continue to work together like physically together, which is something that had been the norm and something we had all right. taken for granted. That was all now called into question. And we are a hands on entity where everything we do here, everybody it's a it's a physical thing. We train people.
1: Lots of skills that, of that skills. need to, to yes. be here to
0: yeah. do. And so, you know, it was this moment where getting the, the whole relationship that I was developing as commissioner with this agency and the agency with me as commissioner was kind of interrupted by by this, again, this big unknown. And on top of that, of course, everybody was concerned about their loved ones and had their own issues in their own lives that they were concerned with. So all of that put together put, I think, an an incredible strain on this agency, every agency. I'm sure everybody that strain was was manifest in all kinds of ways. But, you know, trying to figure out how do we keep everybody together on the same page, focused on our mission when, you know, what was going to happen from day to day was... In question. Ultimately, I think it was really the success of our making through that was born on the commitment of the staff. We, we got back on track as quickly as possible. I think we were only down for a few months few months, were significant. And it certainly was something that put a strain on DOCJT, put a strain on public safety in Kentucky. I mean, those three months, I don't want to downplay the significance. You know, there's agencies in Kentucky, the people that police cannot maintain their certifications to be able to continue wearing their gun on a badge without our training. It is built into the law. They have to have the basic training to be get their initial certification, and they have to have in-service to be able to maintain that every year. And so without that constant flow of training and that constant accessibility to training, we just won't have officers on the street. And I think that that's significant. But still, we were able to figure out how to work together. You know, it was, it was pretty remarkable that through the leadership of the governor and uh, all the assistance that we had, we were able to put back together a training environment and pick it up and keep, uh, we could just kept on going. We were able to get recruits back here, get our training schedule back on. And through that, there was, a, I think, a sense of resiliency that it took some months to realize. But I really feel like as an agency, I think we weathered an incredible storm and came out on the other side. And looking back, I think we just barely skipped a beat.
1: Obviously, we've noted challenges, you know, whether that was COVID, public perception, changes in technology, um, both positive and negative. How do all these challenges that law enforcement has had to rise and meet, how does this create a momentum to helping us meet the next challenges as we move
0: ahead? We find ourselves at a time now where, again, things are very different. There's not as many folks that are interested in a career in public safety. Um, And that is kind of born through anecdote as well as statistics when it comes to how many people are applying. It's also worn through some statistics about how long folks are staying in the job. For agencies in Kentucky, obviously the significance there is how they maintain fully staffed department. A lot of agencies in Kentucky are far from fully staffed. The issues of recruitment and retention and law enforcement across the country, but certainly here in Kentucky, is significant. And it's not something that even we're immune to. No, not at all, because there is a direct you know, connection that goes both ways. In order to be an instructor here at DOCJT, you have to first have been a police officer or a dispatcher. But not only that, you also not only have to be good in that profession, but you also have to be a good instructor. Being an instructor and being either a dispatcher or an officer, two very different things some great dispatchers, great officers out there. I've known plenty of them. Wouldn't make the best instructors. Uh, no knock against them. They're uh, great professionals in what they do, but it's teaching, different skill sets. Teaching is a different profession. So you're not coming here to be a cop. You're coming here to be a teacher is really what it comes down to. You're coming here to be an instructor. So anyway, so you have to have experience. You have to have been either a dispatcher or a law enforcement officer. You have to be able to teach. And you also have to be able to have enough of experience and skill sets to be certified by the council. Again, the highest standards we have in Kentucky. That's a pretty high bar. So if agencies are having a hard time recruiting and retaining, we're pulling from the same group and, in fact, a much, much smaller group than uh, than, than most of Kentucky's agencies. So, yes, we we are certainly in that same boat. I think for us looking forward, really, we need to keep a close eye on the rearview mirror and where we've come from. And again, your interview with Commissioner Buzak really described very well what things were like before POPs. I think it's important to recognize all the hard work that went into making all of that be the way that it is now. For us to be able to talk about how great things are now, there was a lot of hard work to get us there, a lot of commitment. We're now in an environment where this is the norm a lot of folks that are beginning policing now or in their early 20s. When they were born, POPs was already in place. So there's uh, this kind of memory of what it was like before is fading. Right now, the biggest thing that I'm worried about is how do we make sure that we retain those standards, maintain those standards, and that we continue to make it a priority to find ways to improve those standards. I say all that because at a time when resources are strained, When agencies are worried about something as basic as how to staff their agencies, these are tough times in law enforcement. Again, I mentioned we were put together at a time 20, 30 years ago. The the number of dorm rooms we have, the number of staff members we have, the number of classrooms we have, the track and the range and all these things that we have were all designed at a time when that's what we needed. Now, if you were to hire somebody now, it'll be months before you can get into D.O.C.J.T. and that's just, you know that's just kind of a matter of fact. And I know that's a significant problem for agencies in Kentucky. And I absolutely recognize that. And you know we are at a crossroads where we need to be able to recognize kind of the lay of the land when it comes to how recruitment and retention is working. But now at a time when folks are not staying in the profession as long as they used to, and the turnover essentially what that amounts to. The need for training increases. The need for training increases. The number of new recruits, you know, the number of times that agency has to refill a position, those were all new hires over and over again, which really has increased dramatically the demand on DOCJT. It's really set us up for an environment where there's just a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure on DOCJT to try to turn out more recruits. The challenge there is how do we maintain our standards and not spend too much time bemoaning how we wish it would be or maybe even necessarily talking about how good things used to be, they are the way they are. And uh, that puts us in a position where we need to think about what do we need to do now to be able to meet the need that we have. I have no doubt my staff, everybody that works here, fully committed all the time. All of our folks are working all the time all of our facilities are in use all the time within the standards that we currently have and within the, the parameters of the law. We're doing everything we can. Um, and in fact, you know, I, I worry sometimes, whatever profession you have, cops, firefighters, teachers, you know, nurses, any kind of service profession like that, if there's a need, they're going to meet it. Oftentimes, sometimes, you know, potentially at their own detriment. Our folks are working hard, and they have been for years. I want to make sure that we are committed as much now as we were in 98 as much now as it were back in the early 70s, to make sure that we are able to maintain the standards that Kentuckians are entitled to, in my opinion.
1: Essentially, resist the urge to say just enough.
0: Yes. You know, it's one of those things, maybe I just need to do it justice and to say it out loud. I don't want this environment to somehow move to a place where we begin to consider lowering our standards to meet those immediate needs. To me, that is a very dangerous place uh, when I say lowering our standards, you know, when we're talking about how long does it take to get through the academy, we need to be careful. I want to be a part of that conversation. We need to have all the stakeholders present. We need to recognize, again, everything that went in to get us to where we are today.
1: What do we lose if this commitment to high standards begins to shift?
0: That That's a very scary question. I'll be honest with you, I don't really even want to Imagine that. Public safety, that's a very people-centered job on both sides. You've got citizens that live in the community that need help. People don't call the police. They're not contacting their dispatchers when they're having a great day. When they need us, they need us. That's one half the equation. And then the other half is the person responding or the person answering that phone. If they don't have the skills and knowledge that they need, they could be in danger. And to me, I think both sides of that deserve the highest standard possible you know, we've been moving now for a long time, always trying to advance our standards, trying to advance our, our training. I want to be able to stay in that position.
1: So how do you see us grasping momentum in the right direction and,
0: and pushing forward? A lot of it is going to be just as basic as having all the stakeholders all acknowledge that the standards that we have now are paramount and that we all want essentially the same thing. We all want to have safe communities. We all want to have safe officers and deputies. And I think if we all start from that position and then just realistically try to look at what is the need, I think that's important to try to capture that. What do we need when it comes to basic training capacity? What do we need when it comes to, you know, the method of delivery? How are we going to deliver the training? Always stay focused. Have square one be high standards. Have square one be meaningful training. Have square one be public safety. I think that's important that we start there than when we answer every question at that table. Yeah, I think it's just kind of coming to terms with where we are. I think we all need to recognize that times have changed, times have shifted, and a lot of the things that we were just fine with 20 years ago, we're going to have to adapt. We talk about things that worked 20 years ago. The pay here at DOCJT really hasn't changed much. Um, I know over the past four years, we've had a couple of significant increases, and everybody's really obviously grateful for that. But we have to recognize that in order to stay competitive, you ultimately ultimately will get what you pay for. It's great that people have a job that they feel strongly about, that they love to do what they do. That's great. Having been in a life of service, i have always not real happy when people are like, well, just assume that you're going to do the job because it's a calling. For us to stay competitive, you know, just look at the agencies that are around us. We are so far from even remotely competitive when it comes to our pay. That's something that's going to have to change. We look backwards in the rearview mirror and look about all the commitment that it took to make this happen. We really need to challenge ourselves to be committed now to be able to continue that. We have to be willing to be committed to, to make the hard decisions in government to make sure that DOCJT is properly funded. Ultimately, the public safety is properly funded. It starts in Kentucky with the training here. You know, for us to be able to stay competitive in the future, for us to be able to attract folks to be able to replace the wonderful staff we have now when it comes their time to retire, we've got to be in a position where we can remain competitive.
1: And I assume to also to keep enough staff to meet the train needs that we are
0: required. Yeah. I mean it takes people to to run a classroom. As I look forward in the future to the increasing demand and, you know, what is it going to take for us to be able to meet that demand? It's going to take staff. Staff that's going to have to be top notch. I mean, again, the folks we have now are amazing. But if we're going to be, you know, moving into the future, uh, we've got to be able to continue to attract the high-quality folks that we currently have. And, you know, when when there's other options out there, you can't hardly blame somebody for taking a a more lucrative option or an option with better benefits. I just really kind of challenge all the folks in in leadership across the state to really take this seriously, that uh, we have to maintain this commitment that we've shown for all these years. We have to maintain that. we cannot rest on laurels. Because we will slip backwards.
1: So kind of going with the whole theme of this season of the Bluegrass Beat, looking back to look forward, Commissioner Bizak mentioned uh, that he and his administration had completed a job task analysis at JTA. I know that's something that we are looking toward doing. Can you talk a little bit about that process and what
0: we're, we're looking to achieve? Yes. So, when it comes to the standards we have and the way we do things, we're, we're not just kind of making this up out of thin air. We make sure that all of our training is driven by data. We look at how do we put together our topics and basic, for example. A job task analysis is just essentially just a big study. It really comes down to kind of asking all the stakeholders, what does it take to be a police officer in Kentucky? What are the skills that you need? What do you need to do this job to be prepared to do this job? And from that study, we then kind of build our curriculum around that. You really should be doing a job task analysis about every five to seven years because things change. Some core essentials don't, but there are always, you know, we always need to be keeping our pulse on what does it take to be a police officer in 2023 and beyond. So, We, you know, we're at that time. The last time we did a job task analysis was 2015. It's been about eight years. Uh, We've been on this road now for a couple of years trying to secure an entity to be able to do this for us. We're on that path now. So we're looking forward in 2024 to having this job task analysis kind of underway. It's going to involve input from everybody, everybody, all stakeholders uh, will have an opportunity to kind of play a part. Uh, in one form or another, looking forward to having some working groups across the state and reestablishing, again, some of those those baselines that we can kind of reassess our curriculum and what we're teaching and, and how we're teaching it. One big accomplishment that we've been able to realize over the last few years is that we are finally replacing the McKinney Range. You know, when I first got here, McKinney Range was in pretty sorry shape and had been for quite some time, I think, uh, and forgive me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe Commissioner Filburn Really kind of started the effort and the conversation. I kind of just kind of picked the ball up from where he, where he left it. But, uh, you know, we finally were able to secure funding through support of the governor and the legislature, uh, both working together. Uh, some amazing support from EKU. But we're finally, you know, replacing the McKinney skills range with the Jody Cash training facility. And very exciting. Very exciting. This will be and is an investment in our future of training and law enforcement in Kentucky. It's going to double the size, the training space, essentially from 15 to 30 lanes, and it'll all be indoors which will be a great thing for us to be able to advance our low light and uh, nighttime shooting that we have. So time and weather will not be Time and weather will and not be a factor. Though. We'll be better neighbors. We're always cringing at the noise we make. But now in the future, you know, I'm really excited. That should be up and running by January of 25. So again, very, very excited to see that happen.
1: Looking forward to 2024, where do you want to see law enforcement go?
0: I really want to make sure that DOCJT can remain a steady and reliable partner for Kentucky's law enforcement agencies, because we really do have that kind of relationship with the sheriff's departments and the police departments across the state. I really see a future where we continue to work together hand in hand to where I and our administration, the agency here, can stay up to date with their needs, and that we are able to meet those needs moving into the future. I really see 2024 and beyond being able to foster those relationships and have those relationships work to where we can ultimately benefit public safety in Kentucky and, again, maintain these high standards and continue to have the best law enforcement in the country we have some great leaders in the state right now, and that if this is a a challenge that we are going to recognize and confront, that all of us working together, that we're going to get through this and, and we're going to figure it out. We've talked a little bit about recruitment and retention and, you know, this pressure that we have to meet kind of this new training demand. You know, there's some agencies that, you know, what happens at DOCJT is really, they're not as concerned because they have their own academies. You know, we've had some that have had their own academies for quite some time. You've got Lexington and Louisville and and Kentucky State Police. Here, very recently, we've had Bowling Green develop their own basic training academy. They've done a wonderful job. Northern Kentucky Chiefs and Sheriffs up there, they've got their own in-service academy now. I know they're you know they're still fairly new, kind of working through a lot up there. And now, recently, Owensboro has taken some significant steps and gotten uh, approval to move forward from the council just recently. Um, and from what I've seen from their presentation. They've got quite a bit invested and have done really a wonderful job preparing themselves for this. It is very expensive, but, you know, that's a call for the local communities, I guess in this case, Bowling Green and, and Owensboro. That's a judgment call they have to make, and I absolutely respect that, and I know that heads of both those agencies, they're very committed to high quality, high standards. Uh, obviously, they're all kind of overseen by the same council that oversees us, but not everybody's going to have the resources to be able to, to do that the way they have You know, it goes back to this universality of our standards and expectations as citizens in Kentucky to have the same level of public safety, no matter where you live, right? That was something that other states struggle with because other states have very all kinds of paths to be certified, and the standards are all over the place. It's really difficult to hold that down. And again, poor agencies don't have that same access as wealthier agencies do. You know, as commissioner, I really value the relationships that we have with the leadership across the state. But, you know, I I really have always pledged DOCJT to be available to work with these other academies. I know we've had staff that have gone to Louisville, for example, and to watch what they do. And I know we've worked really close with Bowling Green. Um, And again, we've committed the same thing to uh, both Northern Kentucky Um, With their in-service academy and now with uh, Owensboro, that whatever they need from us, and I think for this to work, we all need to kind of keep those relationships really strong so that that those other agencies don't get lost in their own bubble, Um, because that's something that's easy to, to happen. Uh, That if you just kind of stay in your own area all the time, you kind of lose track. And I don't think that's going to happen with the leadership that we currently have in place because of the relationships that we have.
1: Essentially, the profession does not benefit by us all becoming islands.
0: Yes, because we don't really live and work on islands. I mean, uh, when you're traveling around the state or you may have friends or family that live in different parts of the state, we're all one Kentucky. And again, the, the more academies we have... In general, the more work it's going to take on us to make sure that we all stay connected, and that's on us to do. And I'm certainly committed to that. And again, the current leadership that we have in these in these agencies, I feel a very strong commitment that we're all we're all in this together to do right by the folks who live and depend on us. You know, it's something that Bizak mentioned. It's just, again, for us to maintain these standards, we really have to be careful and not take those standards for granted. I think it's a lot of unfortunate cycles in history. You experience something and, and you learn from it, make some changes and adapt. And then over time, that becomes the new norm and then you kind of start to forget. And then all of a sudden, you realize that, hey, you know, they talk about history repeating itself. It doesn't have to happen.
1: Right. We wanted to see a future where Kentucky continues to take steps forward and, and not any back.
0: But in order to do that, again, it's going to take commitment. It's going to take commitment. The same level that it took to make it happen, to keep it going, um, it's going to take that commitment.
1: Well, Commissioner, it was fantastic to hear from you. We finally got you on the show. <laughs> thank you for being with us.
0: And thank you, Critley. I appreciate it greatly.
1: And everyone, thank you for listening. From everyone here at DOCJT, we wish you a happy and healthy, safe holiday season. As always, more information about today's topic can be found in this episode's show notes. Remember, you can find us on DOCJT's website under the training tab, on Apple Podcasts, and on Spotify. Until next time, I'm Cridley King Smith, and you have been listening to the Bluegrass Beat. We hope you join us again. We strive to make this podcast entertaining
0: and informative. If you would like to reach us with a comment or suggestion, contact us via the link in the show notes. You can subscribe to The Bluegrass Beat wherever you listen to podcasts. This has been a Team Kentucky and Department of Criminal Justice Training production.